This message is brought to you by the Metamorphosis Christian Center, Abuja. Ministering is the servant of God, a pastor in the house, Pastor Samuel Uluwashiun Hazan. Remain blessed as you listen. Father, we thank you for the good things you are doing in our lives. We bless you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we want to see more of your faithfulness. Even as the year goes to an end, the words you've spoken over us as a people, that by your spirit, not by our might, not by our power, but by your spirit, that things we have started, we shall see accomplishments even as the year comes to an end in Jesus' name. We receive those connections. We receive those uh, resources, everything that we need. Lord, the grace, the strength, the ideas, all that you have promised to help us achieve and conclude what we've started. We receive them in Jesus' name. We declare that there shall be many more testimonies. More doors will still open, Lord. More situations will shift. More advancement will come in the name of Jesus. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. The last time I was here, I spoke on two things that the Lord, uh, I believe the Lord was passing across to us. The first of which, and those were like prophetic experience, prophetic words coming to us. Uh, we said that God as, is bringing us as a people into rest, right? Do we remember that? It's about a month ago. That's why I said... Um, a lot of the messages that have been coming. I mean, this is the time to begin to review the words of the Lord from January. Everything that the Lord has spoken. Messages you've had. You can just put your Metamorphosis YouTube channel. Just put it on autoplay. And uh, if you are most of the company... Now, is a good time to do, well, videos. You, know, you might not be able to pray all night. But you can listen to messages at least two or three hours in the night. Because the messages are all there. So, log on to the YouTube channel and just let them flow one after the other. You'll be amazed at some of the promises and some of the things that the Lord has deposited in our lives this year. And it will help you, it will strengthen your faith for the end of the year. You know, it's not December 31st that people will be, oh Lord, do not pass me by. 11th hour miracle. Huh? Let's not wait till that 11th hour. And we've been declaring this since the uh, prophetic equipping conference. That's the time really that our hearts should be tenacious about the promises of God for the year. And that's two months have passed after equipping conference. How many of us have tapped into that grace of completing what God has started? It is only one hand went up. So two, three, okay, four. It is as you listen. As you listen. Say faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of the Lord. So as you listen, as you hear over and over, faith will build up. Amen. One of the wonderful messages from the year, you know, apart from the ones uh, she preached in January, early part of the year, bringing the word of the Lord, the law of abundance, for example, that is a classic. Go back to it, please. Abundance. That's what God wants for us. And it ties into some of the things we'll be saying. So, I shared on two things. God wants us to come into rest. And then that the miraculous will begin to happen among us. Actually, there was a testimony even in that direction. 
um, the PhDI team from two Sundays ago, right, prayed for someone. And it so happens that this person had someone at home that had some mental issues. And they said it's a person that has not spoken intelligently for a while. They got home and he was apologizing to people. Say, and they were wondering, where did you go? Like the Lord sending his word and people receiving healing. So more of such things will happen amongst us because those are the things that the Lord wants to do. Amen. But this morning we are not talking so much about the miraculous. We want to focus on rest. The Lord choosing to bring us to a place of rest. I shared the experience how uh, the founding pastor came. Well, the angel of the Lord represented by him. So it's a word for the house and it says it's bringing an impartation of what? Rest. We are coming into that season of rest. I also shared the word that God gave to one of the foremost prophets in our contemporary time. He's passed on now, Bob Jones. He died in 2019, I think. 20, between 2018 and 2019, it was 90-something. But he gave a prophecy that was recorded in 2011. That was when it was, well, the video. He had released that prophecy before then. How the Lord told him about what will happen over the span of a hundred years. Each decade, different things that the Lord was going to do. And he said in that message that the decade from 2020 to 2030 is going to be a decade of rest where the people of God will be coming into rest. Now, I had not listened to that before I had my own experience. Amen. In fact, we had not listened to that before God even gave us a word in Family Life Conference of 2019, April 2019. Yes, April 2019, about the rest of favor. So those are things that the Lord is tying together in these times so that we understand what he actually wants to do. Then uh, we've learned when the Lord gives us a prophetic word, we know that his ways are not always our ways. So even if he says something, it's good that you study what he's saying, right? You look into it so that you can fully comprehend. Amen? Because his words are loaded. He says the word of the Lord are like silver purified seven times. Amen. So this morning we want to look at that concept of rest. So we'll title this the rest of God or God's rest. God's rest. Uh, let's start off by reading Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28. If you have been in church for any reasonable period of time, you would have heard this. It is, yes, it can be used as a salvation message, but beyond accepting the Lord Jesus and giving your life to Him. You know, that's the thing about the Word of God. There are levels of revelation that can come from there. So this is the Lord Himself speaking. Lord Jesus speaking, he said, come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Next verse, we'll go to the end of that chapter quick. Take my, take my upon you. You know, I, I'm not sure Christians like that word yoke. When you hear yoke, what comes to mind? The anointing that breaks the yoke. You want yokes to be broken, right? I've shared the story with some people how some people say anointing that breaks the neck and leaves the yoke. Anointing is supposed, 
but it was based on something that happened. But you know, when you hear the word yoke, you think of something, ah, no, the yoke must be broken. But here the Lord is saying, Mm-mm, this one, I don't want to break it. I want to put it on you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. The first one he said, come to me or you will labor every lady. I will give you rest. You can say he's emphasizing how you find that rest. At the same time, you can say there are two levels of rest. One is you come. It's freely given. The other one requires you learning. So, yes, you find rest, but beyond the one that he gives freely, there is one that you can press into to make your experience rich and complete. It says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, when you hear the word labor, heavy laden, one of the pictures that might come to mind is that of what? A prisoner. When you watch movies or especially Nigerian films, the one I've seen said he's sentenced to so so number of years in imprisonment with hard labor. It means this one will make the work intense for him. Amen. That is what the devil did to man, or what man willingly subjected himself to when he chose to disobey God. But the Lord is saying, let's go back to that verse 20. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's now saying, take my yoke. In saying, take my yoke, he's saying, there is labor that I want you to be engaged in. Because sometimes, part of the challenge in Christianity these days is that what? Just come to Jesus and your problem is solved. Right? Come to Jesus, it will make you rich. So, most people have developed a culture of, should I say, spiritual laziness. I don't know how to put it, but it's like, you don't have to work, just believe and it will happen. Like the testimony we had, she put herself through a process. And I believe in that process, she didn't just do it, she was praying all along the way. And it's yielding results. So, There is labor in God. There is a yoke the Lord wants to put upon you. And it is a yoke. A yoke is not a toy. It is not a pleasurable thing. The Lord is saying, there is something you are carrying now. Uh, We were to use our street pass. Say, who sends you? You know, when somebody, some people get into problems, say, who sends you? You put yourself in it. But he's saying, Yes, I will take that from you, but there is work I want you to do. There is a burden I want to put on you. But I said, my yoke is going to be easy for you. My burden is light. But when you do that, you will find rest. So, there is that first level there. Let's just continue. Today, we won't deal so much. Now, this message won't be finished today. Amen? As God gives us opportunity and as we enter into the new year, we'll dig more into it. Because I realize that most times when people talk about this concept of rest, we want to come into rest. First thing, you know, you think more of personal benefit. Like truly the Lord is mindful of us. He wants us to be blessed. He wants to give us rest. But in looking at the scriptures for that, I find that God himself wants rest. 
God wants rest. Does that sound like blasphemy? Does God need rest? Now I'm asking the question. Does God need rest? Huh? To an extent. He rested. Hey, I'm asking you a question. You are saying he... I said, does God need rest? He said he rested. Uh, we know he rested. Why did he rest? Huh? <laughs> you know, so actually, there is evidence that God rested. Meaning that there is capacity for God to rest. You should ask yourself, why did he rest? Was he tired? He worked six days. How many of us work? In fact, some people work one day. Say, oh boy, I don't tire. One day of work. But God works for six days. So, was he tired? Does God get tired? <laughs> huh? So, why did he rest? Ma? <laughs> so, that we can... So, is he still looking for rest? If he rested. Those are questions that I will answer today. Looking at rest first from God's perspective. Because it is when he, God, has come into rest in our lives that we can enter into his rest. Amen. But most of the messages we hear. Now, God is not against you. Ah, God, rest and all the benefits that accrue to you by virtue of you entering the rest. But... The first thing to you know, bear in mind is that God himself wants a resting place. We'll look at that. So when we talk about that, now this is rest. Uh, I want us to just read through the Bible. It might be a long reading, so maybe I'll read from here. Media team, if you can be very fast. Because in reading these scriptures, we read it before, but it lays a foundation. And the truth is, if we read through this, meditate on it, all that you even need can come to you without anybody even preaching. So our preaching will just be emphasis of what the Lord himself has spoken to you. Really, that's what it should be, except for baby Christians. We need to be taught how to study. So, but if you are a growing Christian and you've learned how to commit yourself to the word of God, the Lord himself will begin to speak to you. And then you come to church, you say, ah, yes, that's what I, you know. And some people have said, in fact, somebody once asked me that, if Every time I come to church, what the pastor is saying is what I have read. Do I still need to go to church? Because it's like, ah, every time, what I read is what the pastor is preaching. So do I need to go? Since I already know it, if you like yourself, you better go. Huh? Because, yes, God will speak to you. But in confirming and emphasizing, you know, what does emphasis do to you? It makes the message strong in you. It makes the message strong in you. And then you need to humble yourself. Probably the level of grace with which the word will come is not the same level with which you are understanding it. So you humble yourself. But it's good for you that God speaks to you and then when you come to church, what he has spoken to you is being confirmed. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 3, we'll read from verse um, 17. And then we'll read the whole of chapter 4. So let's be fast. Let's just read together. But whom was he grieved 40 years 
Now, he was talking about the people that were in the wilderness. They kept tempting God. They annoyed him. God said, it, uh, said for 40 years, they will grieve, you know, I was grieved with this generation. I said, there are people that always go astray in their hearts. Therefore, they shall not enter. So, say, for whom was it grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned? Whose carcasses in the wilderness? Whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they would not enter into his rest? Now, we said God had rested. And like Pastor Fumi rightly said, he is resting so that we can also rest. But then, he said, whom did he swear? Them that believed not. So we see then that they could not enter in because of unbelief. We won't get into this, some of these things today. But let's lay these foundations. Verse chapter 4. Let us therefore fear less a promise. Chapter 4 now. Let us therefore fear less a promise of being left uh, of us entering into this rest. Any should uh, seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that had it. If you are the type of person, you hear the word of God and like, mm, now nah, there won't be that. Or this, you give excuses, it doesn't mix with faith, then it cannot bring any tangible results in your life. Verse 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my rod, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. In this series, this is another thing that we will look at. The finished works. Is it true that God has finished all the works from the foundation of the world? You will read in the scripture, we will see it later, that Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. So God knew that the devil was going to tempt man. God knew that man will fall. Some will say, hey, if he knew, why didn't he prevent it? He knows what will happen. But you see, God is a God that believes in your responsibility. He doesn't want babies perpetually. Yes, there are times you'll be babies. I mean, we all like babies. Right? We all like them, how they smile, how they giggle. Some people don't like them when they poo and they wee-wee and they are crying for food in the middle of the night. You know, but it's easy to play with a child when you see. You don't know what the mother goes through. <laughs> you know, you like them. But as much as you like babies, would you want your child to remain a baby forever? It becomes a pain of heart. So, and one of the signs of maturity is what? Responsibility. From, uh, bring that from now, my children is struggling to help you pick things. Let me do it. Let me do it. Whether they will break what you're asking them to do or not. They, everybody just wants to. I mean, imagine your two-year-old say, let me cook. Let me fry it. Hot oil on fire. And he wants to help you. <laughs> it's getting very interesting. But at least a sense of responsibility. Is coming in. Or you want to do something. I can't do it by myself. I can't do it by myself. And they will fight you because they want to do it. But even if they are going to spoil or if it's food, pour all the food on the table, mess up everywhere. But let me do it by myself. You are trying to balance <clears throat> the preservation of your house with teaching them responsibility. But it brings joy to you. Because, okay, they are growing and they are taking responsibility. The same thing with God. Amen. So, there is a place of responsibility. His works were finished. He knew what man would do. He made the plan of salvation. But he needed Adam and men to say, Okay, oh, 
that I fell into sin is not God's fault. You have a part to play even in how God's plan plays out for your life. So, But later on, we'll see that the finished work of God in creation, it's quite simple to see. The finished work of God concerning salvation. We might need to dig into scripture. Well, I've explained it. Then even the finished works of God concerning your personal destiny. Because on those three fronts, there must be clear-cut understanding for you to come into your rest. Amen? Uh, verse 4, verse 3 says, So the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For Verse 4, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. All his works. Everything he needed to do, he has done it. And in this place again, verse 5, If they shall enter into rest. So, seeing therefore it remains that some must enter. The last time I said it, some people will enter. So, you must make up your mind that the rest, excuse me, that God has planned for your life, that you will enter it. Some will enter. That some must enter also means that some will not enter. Get is up to you. As for me, I must enter. You're not saying your own. <laughs> so some must enter. Seeing therefore it remains that some must enter in, and they to whom it was first preached enter not because of unbelief. Again, he declares another day in David saying, Today, after so long a time, as he said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. For if Joshua, some translation will say Jesus, had given them rest, afterward he wouldn't have spoken of another day. Verse 9 says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest has ceased from his own works as God did from it. That's why I said works. Now, sometimes you are trying to achieve personal destiny. God has finished you. So you quite, one of the questions we'll ask is that what's work? How you plan your life? Is it actually you? That is trying to, or are you following what God has concluded? Because that's what will determine if, in the area of destiny, personal purpose, you enter into rest. Salvation, it's easy for most Christians. I mean, you can't do works, it is not your works that saves you. If you are trying to punish yourself for your sin, you are saying what Jesus has done is in vain. Now, there's a place of personal discipline. You know? If you know that the kind of movies you watch is what puts you into trouble, you carry all those. I mean, maybe you stop. Not right now, people don't buy. In those days, you buy CD, DVD. You stop subscribing for data so that you won't have access to go on the net to watch anything. There is that place of personal responsibility and discipline. But that is secondary to what the Lord has done. What saves you and gives you the standing, right standing before God. Is what faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. It's so simple, but then a lot of people miss it. Some people will live under condemnation and fear because they don't understand that. So the work of salvation is finished. 
The works of God in creation, in providing providence, it's there already. So how you now approach it, how you enter into it is what now said, he who has entered into his rest has ceased from his own. So are you doing your own thing? Verse 11. Let us therefore labor. So later on, you will consider, well, these are things, that's why I said, as if you think on these scriptures, you will see areas where God needs to really speak to you and guide you. Let us therefore labor. There is a labor that you need to exert to enter into rest. If it is rest, I mean, if you are resting, you are supposed to be resting, right? But there is labor to enter into rest. And even when you have entered into that realm, because later on too, in other, you know, subsequent um, sessions, let me put it that way, you will see that when you have entered into rest, rest, there is a mindset, operational mindset, that you need to have to enter into rest. And that mindset will also sustain you in that rest. But sometimes it's work. It takes pressing into it. It takes adjusting yourself, disciplining yourself to operate like that. So there is a mindset of rest. There is a place of rest. For the children of Israel, the promised land. For us today, there are certain um, there are certain places. It can be a geographical place. It can be a geographical place. For some, the Lord can say, this place where you are is not where you should be. Move your things and go here. It can be an occupational space. You have seen people who have packed up one business to start another. Because it just dawned on them that this is not what I should be doing. So there is a place of rest. There is a mindset and operating principles for rest. We will come to that later. But like I said, this is like foundation. And truly, as you meditate on this scripture, some of these things will begin to drop in your heart. And the Lord will begin to open you up so that you come into rest. Concerning your destiny, concerning your work with God. Seizing from your own labor. Amen? Let us labor, verse 11, to enter into that rest. Let any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So you're still seeing faith, unbelief, faith, unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the earth. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passing to the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession or confession. Say, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all point tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, this scripture centers more on us. All what we've read is our own need, our own uh, desires, our own rest. But for all this to come to pass, you have to realize that the first person that rested was who? God. Now, ask yourself, why do you rest? 
if somebody says, Whoa, well, I need rest. What is the person trying to say? He has, he's tired. It can be physical tiredness from physical exhaustion. The Lord is mindful of that. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Some people's life, what you do is wearisome. Your business, you don't know why you are not breaking through. We believe God that you will come into rest. So labor. Why is it not using results? So you need rest. It can be mental, physical. Like we're talking about um, marriage that some people, people are just angry. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, excuse, you know, have you been, you, you missed your way or you, you're in an organization, you're trying to look for something because they are not, you know, front desk people, they have to make extra efforts to be nice because people can easily report them. But some other staff in some places, you just ask them, excuse me, yes, what can I do for you? What? As in, ah, no, I just want to find out if, hey, talk to that woman, please. <laughs> You don't know what they are going through. They need rest. Amen? Mental, physical, emotional. The Lord is concerned about... So when people say, I need rest, it can be that. It can be that. There's a change. In, so in, in order to rest, people take a break from activities. Right? It can be work. You go and leave. Some escape from those things that are making them to think and worry. Some people run away from their family. Vacations. They just go, oh, I'm going... To go and play. They occupy themselves with what? Pleasure. They occupy themselves with pleasure. To free them. You know, just, well, let me just go and play. Just, but the truth is, that in trying to rest, I discovered this some time, some years ago now. I was working in a very stressful environment, hospital that, you know, was on the highway. That all the accident cases they will come to you before they refer them to the teaching hospital. So there was a time that I was just, your mind, you are seeing no manner of injuries. I'm like, oh God. So in order to rest, I'm like, okay, let me try to watch films. Let me try to watch movies. Or let me just do something that takes my mind off work. But I realized that even those movies, they leave you emotionally less <laughs> than where you were before you came to watch. Here you are trying to relax. And then you are watching something with suspense that gets you high again. You finish. You realize that you've expended energy watching this film. Because you're actually cracking your mind. Trying to follow the storyline. And what will he do next? What will he jump? Ah, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't do that. I'm like, at the end of the day, I felt more tired after watching some films. Like, this thing doesn't actually help. That is man's way of trying to rest. That is man's way. And, you know, some people will say, you know, meditate. But what do you meditate on? So, ill health can make people desire rest. Some people are put on, red, uh, on rest. Some people, you know, they are just tired of everything. Rest. But when God rested, why did he rest? And how did he rest? Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. I asked earlier, does God need rest? Somebody answered, he rested. So did he need it? And I've said, 
Today, we just focus on God's perspective as in rest that is beneficial to God. As in let God get his own benefit first. Let God get his rest. Then it becomes easy for you to enter into yours. Okay, um, verse 31. Genesis 1, verse 31. We read from there, we enter uh, chapter 2. Verse 31 says, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Now, very means what? Very, right? But if you dig into it, it will be extremely good. You know, when a student does well and impresses the teacher, you say excellent. Or some you write very, very good. If the teacher wants to be just um, playful or very, 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 just to emphasize. So what God did, God saw that his work was perfect. Extremely good, abundantly good. The evening and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Chapter 2. Let me just go. And the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Now, if you read that, you say, ah, God worked hard. Actually, it's a lot of work. If you have ever been to a farm, your own small farm you are cultivating. How many of us have farm experience here? Our poultry farmer. It's hard work. But we know that God did not engage in physical activity. But we don't know. And then some theologians will say, those days, are they literal days? Or do they represent a thousand year dispensation or something? Because the Bible says, uh, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. Putting all this together, did it make God tired? Did it make him tired? Does God get tired that he now needed to rest? How did he rest? Because he said, yes, God rested. This can show you, this shows that God has capacity for rest. And in fact, he rested. But later we'll see that he still wants to rest. But how? How did he do it? If you read Isaiah 40, we'll get there later. Because we'll answer that question, does God get tired? Does he get weary? Isaiah 40 says, he does not get weary. Let's even read it. We'll come back here. Isaiah 40 from um, where is that now? Verse 20 Verse 28 Isaiah 40, 28 Has thou not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. Huh? He does not get tired. Amen? He does not get weak. He does not get exhausted. He does not get fed up like that. As in, ah, I'm just tired or I'm fed up. Very funny. My children, they've watched so much of Superbook cartoons and when you see a two-year-old boy say, oh, I give up. I'm like, what does he know? 
You are doing something, you are talking with him, Daddy, do, 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 do. oh, I give up. I like, <laughs> does he understand what he's saying? Oh, but he, they use it in some context, like, it looks like he actually understands. <laughs> it's just funny. But this is our God. He neither faints nor is weary. So even after creating the heavens and the earth, and the Bible says he rested. So now we know that it is not because he got tired. He is not weary. Now, let's read through this verse 29 of this Isaiah 40. He gives power to the weak because he himself is the embodiment of power. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Because he is the personification of strength. Huh? Next verse. Even you shall faint and weary. This is like a contradiction. The glory of young men is supposed to be their strength. The youth are supposed to be vibrant. And the young men, they will fail. That the Bible now ends by saying, 31, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. If you've studied well, if you've had some messages, it means it's not renewal. It's actually an exchange. It takes that which is going down from you and gives you his own. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. So the Lord's rest in Psalm 21, you read it there. He who watches over Israel, he does not slumber or sleep. So God that has been in existence from everlasting to everlasting, he has never blinked his eye once to say, ah, angel Michael, you are powerful and you can fight. Just keep an eye over things and don't let the devil take over. I need a little rest. No, that's not God. He neither slumbers nor sleep. So his rest was not because of tiredness. The Bible says, uh, go back there, Genesis 2. Uh-huh. On the seventh day, God ended his work. So, his rest was because... Now, you need to know, rest can mean to stop walking. But you will go, we'll go on to see that. It didn't just stop because he has finished. He rested. Now, the next verse will give, begin to give us an idea of what the rest that God desires truly is. And how we can make our lives a platform for him to enjoy that. Amen? Verse 3. And God blessed then. God blessed the seventh day. Most people will say blessed. When you say blessed are you, you say you mean empowered to prosper. Now how does a day prosper? You need to wonder, if God blessed the day, what does the day need? What kind of prosperity is the day looking for? But you need, if you check well, as you study, find that the word blessed can also mean praised. You say, ah, this shall be a day of praise. Praise for who? Praise for who? For himself. You say, ah, this is a wonderful day. You are praising the day. This is a glorious day because I've finished my work. I have done well. Now, can God be ever proud? Who are you to accuse God of pride? He has the right to, be, to rejoice in himself. He said, he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. Amen? So, 
He made it a day of praise. A day of praise for who? For himself. What was he doing? Now, have you done something good? Whether you cooked and maybe you experimented with something new and it came out well. You know, you behave like the Agama lizard that jumps down from <laughs> a high mountain and say, Ah, I tried. Hmm? I tried. Galatians 6 actually says, Let each man do his work so that he will have what? Pleasure in himself and not in another. There is a place of satisfaction and joy when you have done something good. That's what happened here. God was happy with the work of his hands. That is actually the rest of God. That is the rest that he had. And we will, as we go on, you will see that his desire is to dwell amongst his creation. Seeing the beauty that he has created to walk amongst it. That's why when Adam sinned, the Bible said he had the footsteps of the Lord walking amongst the garden. Because God was always doing it. Now, from that day that God finished the work in Christ, in the seventh day, he rested. And actually, in a sense, God had been at rest. God, the Father, he has concluded. Isaiah 46 tells you, he declares the end from the beginning. Because everything that will happen, God already laid it out. He knows. Nothing takes him by surprise. God is at rest. And the, 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 the seventh day was man's first day of existence, right? And what did man wake up to meet? A God that was walking through and having pleasure in the work of his hands. Including Adam and inside Adam, Eve, because the Bible said he made them male and female. It was not after Adam named all the animals and I said, ah, there's no help made for him. God knows. It was only helping Adam to realize something. If he had made them male and female, they would just wake up and said, he might not appreciate. But when God made him see that, ah, there's actually nobody like me. And he now brought and said, this is woman because she was taken out of my because he saw that ah okay finally so he did some things to help us come into understanding but in his mind he said let us make man genesis 1 he said male and female he made them he created them and he blessed them and he called them man and he said to them so that blessing was pronounced in genesis 1 Dominion Mary 26 downwards, as if both of them were there. Actually, they were there. So, man came into existence to meet who? A God at rest. A God who was walking through creation, enjoying the pleasure and the fellowship of the work of his hands. What would Adam have had? Or what would have been his experience? God walking with him and telling him about this plant, that animal, and everything, and just showing him the wonders of creation, fellowship, interaction. That is what God desires. That is the rest of God. So, and when man sinned, 
Bible says creation was subject to corruption. That's Romans 8. God lost a measure of his rest. Because he is a holy God. He can't dwell in iniquity. He can't dwell in sin. Isaiah 59 will say, your sin, your iniquities have separated you from the Lord your God. That when you pray, he doesn't even hear you. His eyes are too holy to behold iniquity. Are we getting this? So God, since then, has been looking for a place to dwell. Of course, he can choose to... He's everywhere. He's he's omnipresent, like we've said. Right? God is everywhere. But does he manifest everywhere? His omnipresence, when we looked at the presence of God, we looked at his uh, omnipresence. He's everywhere. Even where people are doing the most terrible things and committing the most sinful sins, if you you permit that adjective. God is there. But his manifest presence is not felt. And you can't get the benefits of that. But where he is truly at rest, you will see him manifest in his splendor and glory, which is what he desires to dwell amongst his people. And from the time he started, uh, Adam and Eve, yeah, they sinned, killed the animal, trying to bring in redemption. Noah, in fact, the name of Noah, do you know what his name means? Go back and read it. He said, this one shall give us rest and comfort us concerning the ground that the Lord has caused. His name means rest and comfort. So God found a man, it was a prophecy over him. And truly Noah found grace in that. And God was trying to create something new. Or recreate something. Because he got to the point, Genesis 6 said, My spirit shall not dwell with man forever. Because the thought of his heart are what? It's evil. From his youth, I will wipe them out. And then he sought for a man. When Noah came out, let's read that. When Noah came out, Genesis 8.21, when he came out from the ark, the Bible said he did something. He offered a sacrifice. Let's see that on screen. Genesis 8.21, he offered a sacrifice and said the Lord smelled a soothing, a pleasing aroma. It was as if, ah, this is rest for me again. And the Lord smelled a soothing, that word translated as soothing there, pleasant, relaxing, comfortable aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. So he started reversing the curse. Even though the imagination of man's heart is evil. Now will I destroy anything? So this is a fulfillment of the prophecy over Noah's life. Because God said, no, no more curse. As long as the earth remains, seed, before he was saying to Adam, you plant, it is stones that it will grow. But now he says seed, if you have seed, with time, you will have harvest. Amen? But this is what God desires. Stay on that one. The Lord smells a soothing, verse 21, aroma, pleasant, pleasure. One of the words the Lord spoke to us this year was that this will be a year of what? Experiencing his pleasure. Because where 
he finds pleasure. He will abide. And he will manifest himself. This is the rest of God. That's why when he called Moses out, the children of Israel, he was telling them to build him a tabernacle that he may dwell amongst them. Let's see Exodus 25.8. That is the rest of God. Because when God comes into rest in our lives, we'll round up looking at conditions that can bring God to rest. It is then we can begin to talk about entering into his rest as it concerns our personal life and then it begins to confer benefits or not. Genesis 25 verse 8, not 35, 2, 5. Exodus 25, I mean, not Genesis. Exodus 25, 8. This is after he has given instructions to Moses. Let them bring this, let them bring that, let them do this, let them do that. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell amongst them. But that was not the ultimate. Later the Lord came, said, uh, you won't worship God anywhere, not on this mountain, not on that mountain. You worship God in spirit. When he came and he was telling them about the promise of the Holy Spirit, he said, he will be with you and in you. Ultimately, when you go to Revelation 21, you will see that God wants a complete restoration of what Adam lost. Where he is able to walk. The Bible says the tabernacle of God is now with men, as in his dwelling place, where his presence is physically and tangibly manifest. That is actually what he is looking for. Not just, oh, a visitation from the Lord, he comes and he goes. He wants it to be a perpetual realm of interaction. That should be the mindset with which we approach this concept of rest. That first, God finds rest in our life. There are several scriptures we can look at. Through uh, the temple of Solomon and you know everything, that is just God's desire. But what are the things that will make God rest? Like I said, if we get this right, that first, when it comes to matter of rest, God is the one that wants to rest. Not because he's tired, not because he's weary. To him, rest means that he is finding pleasure in our lives and he can be as comfortable as he wants to be. Rest is synonymous to pleasure, uh, pleasure, right? If you are in a place where you are really enjoying, for some people, it's physical. Ah, there is food, there is light, there is water. Some people will not do anything. Just wake up, have your bath, eat, watch TV, you go to sleep, and you say, life is good. Adam had that, but there was responsibility attached to it. Tend the garden. He said, Domi. When we look at it, and uh, you know, in a way, thank God that you know it led in this direction. I had a concern after the leaders' uh, prayer meeting on Friday. I was like, God, Pastor Rotimi has used all my points as prayer points. <laughs> I like, what message does one want to come and preach again? Because 
Throughout the leader's prayer, you know, different prayer points about rest come here and say, ah, he has preached the message now. Abi, those that were at the leader's prayer meetings, is it not true? He has, but we'll still look at it again. The Holy Spirit, God is leading us in this direction, but he wants to find rest first. So what will make God find rest among the people? Yes, sin separated man from God in the first place. But the first thing that needs to happen is that sin must be excused. Write it down. If you have a question, please write it and pass it. Okay? Sin. You must have come into redemption. Is there anybody here that you are not sure that you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you, I mean, like it is done in some circles. Everybody, I'm not asking us to stand up, but I've been in a church where everybody was asked to stand up. If Jesus comes now, or you die now, no, nobody likes to hear that part of dying now. If you are sure you are going to heaven, sit down. Of course, it's hard for people to tell lies in such a situation. So the rest of you that are standing, you are not sure you are born again? No, but really, it's a question that needs to be settled in your heart. Are you saved? Have you been redeemed? Because this is the beginning of God coming to rest. So, you need to look at your life. And, or is there still something lingering that will not make God comfortable? You know, the Bible talks about cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Some sins are common among unbelievers. I mean, but even amongst believers, there are things that are sins that we still see. They are more internal, dealing with your unregenerated nature. Things like anger, unforgiveness. Believes, many people who are believers struggle with that. But those things will not make God rest in us. Nobody sees them. To everybody, you are good. But somebody has offended you and in your mind, when he greets you, you laugh, you smile, but when he goes, uh, see, yeah, and you, 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 now some people are so good; they've gone to the point that they won't do anything bad. But like you, one day, one day, God will just help. Oh God, just help me! But this brother, just God, just let me deal with him one day. Just let me show him. If you are still praying for God to give you opportunity to show somebody, then it means you have not been completely renewed in that area. So some things are in believers like that, but. Redemption, salvation is one cardinal. That's the first thing. Then number two, one thing that will make God be at rest. Your love for God must be above all else. Your love for God must be above all else. They came to Jesus asking him, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew 22 Verse 36, what is the greatest commandment? Of course, they were testing him. God gave them the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God beside me. He gave them that in um, Numbers, uh, Exodus 20. But later in Deuteronomy, when Moses was recounting, there, there were several laws. He came back to tell them the same thing that the Lord Jesus quoted from. Okay, this is the Lord Jesus. But, but, you know, but because most people, if you've not read the Old Testament, you're like, where did Jesus get this? But God said it. Just write it down. Deuteronomy 6. 
is there in Deuteronomy. In fact, several places in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God. Love the, he emphasized that. Deuteronomy, the first time I read Deuteronomy, I was like, wow, this is actually a, 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 a book of love. Where God, I've not lo- I've loved you more than all the peoples of nations of the earth. You are, I'm like, wow, that was... But if you are talking about the gospel of love, you say the gospel of John, gospel of First John. But right there, it was there. You shall love the Lord your God. But let's go back to what the Lord Jesus said. Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God. Matthew 22 verse uh, 36. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Teacher, there, yeah, let's read that. Let's read verse 36. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? It's not the first one. You shall have no other God before me. It's not the Sabbath day. In as much as it's so important to the Jews. There was a man of God that said he went to Jerusalem. He is an Indian. But somehow, their flight, they landed in Jerusalem on a Sunday. Well, Sabbath day. Maybe Saturday. But the day they were observed. And the taxi that carried them passed through a traditional Jewish community. He said the way people were looking at them. Hmm. They didn't even talk because the Sabbath day said they should not do anything. So to even talk to them, they were like, hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> and <it> was <laughs> because if they spoke, I said, what are you doing here? They have broken the Sabbath. They're like, hmm, hmm. He said when they got to their hotel, one of the managers asked them, ah, which way did you people pass? He said, ah, you passed through here. Pastor, he said, ah, you should be thanking your God, though. Because the last stories, set of stories that came through that place on the Sabbath day, he said they turned the vehicle upside down while they were inside. It. <laughs> that's how dear they hold to that commandment of you shall observe the Sabbath. But that's not the greatest. He said, which is the greatest commandment? Next verse, you shall love the Lord your God. Verse 37, with all your heart. With all your soul. Verse 37, please. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, spirit, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love for God involves your emotions. You are like, uh, we always share that story. This is a season, many, January now. Guys are preparing for Nations Cup, right? And permutations. Ah, somebody has broken his cheekbone. He cannot represent Nigeria. What will happen? permutation and discussions are going. Which striker will be involved? <laughs> Excitement is building up. But how passionate, what is the state of your emotions when it comes to the things of God? It's an indication of how much you love Him. How excited are you about the things of God? It shows that your emotions is not tied there. Your will, is it easy for you to choose between doing something that relates to the kingdom of God or doing something that is of your own personal benefits. Because your will is the site of your choice, your choosing. That's where you make your decisions. Kai, this morning, if I'm to go for this fellowship now, I will spend this money. <laughs> that happened to me during the week. You know, I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to spend this money. But at the end of the day, well, you better, if you don't go now, you'll be late. <laughs> You better spend the money and just say, God, forgive. Let me just go. Your will. It will determine if you are able to make sacrifices for the kingdom. We'll look at it later. That one of the things that brings God to rest in your life will also be the sacrifices you make. Because uh, Solomon, what brought God to him? He said they made a thousand burnt offerings. 
But he did it with a pure heart. That's why we talked about sin. That's why we talked about loving the Lord. Noah, in his whole generation, I mean, not only you were come, imagine if he was now, are you the only one? Are you the one that gave back to Jesus? But in that whole generation, he was the only one. And out of that kind of heart, out of that kind of life, he presented an offering to the Lord. And the Bible said the Lord smelt a soothing sacrifice. Do you know what that means? Oh, finally, I found a man. So, sacrifices that you make, the offerings that you give, especially where God or the Holy Spirit begins to prompt you. Now, this has been abused in the church. People trying to raise money. In fact, there's one video I saw recently. They say, worry people refuse to answer one man of God. He said, bring money, bring money. He counted. Nobody came out. And said, oh yeah, the rest of you stand up. Just make sure by next week you bring so so more amount of money. <laughs> you know. But it is a reality that as you walk with God, from time to time, it will demand sacrifices from you. If your life is devoid of sin and you love him, when you bring such sacrifices, it is a sweet-smelling aroma to him. It can only trigger the release of blessings upon your life. It is part of the things that will make God find rest. And those sacrifices will not just be one of it will always come to demand because the more you do it, the more he pushes you into deeper relationships and greater realms of blessings with him. Amen? What was I talking about? Loving the Lord your God. That's point number two. Okay, point number three. We've mentioned it. The sacrifices that you make. Number four now. Humility and submission. You can't... God resists the proud. Now, pride is not that. Now, people are proud towards God. Pride is when you put your own will, your own desires and your own intentions above his own. That's why I said there are some things that some Christians struggle with as we grow. And progressively the Lord keeps working on us. No human being on the face of the earth will tell you today that he is perfect. Even our fathers in the faith, they continually humble themselves before God. God is always still testing them to purify them, to take them higher. Until you cross this natural divide and step into that realm, then you see him face to face. That's when this testing and purification will stop. Humility is not that you want everybody to be hailing you or greeting you, or that you put your will, your interest above God's own. Or the word of God does not take place. You know, like it's even uh, pride, the issue we mentioned earlier about trying to, in quote, punish yourself for sin. It becomes an affront to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the issue that brought about Christian Reformation in the first place? That the old Catholic Church, the old Roman, things have changed. There are many people in the Catholic Church that believe in the, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. But in that time, in the Dark Ages, you pay penance how much you pay determines the level of heaven that you are promoted to. Martin Luther did it and still didn't have peace until he learned that the just shall live by faith in what Jesus has done. That's the pride of man. So, And every time you put your will, your own desires above God's will, you are not walking in humility and submission before him. So it is something that would attract God and cause him to be at rest. Amen? So, We've mentioned redemption. We've mentioned love for God above all. 
We've mentioned the sacrifices you make for the cause of the kingdom, you know, especially in obedience to God. Number four is obedience. Obedience. John 14, verse 14 and 15. The Lord Jesus was speaking there. Say, He who has my words and does them. John 14, quickly. Verse 14 and 15. said, I and my father. Verse 15. Say, I and my father will come and make our abode. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, why are we talking about commandments again? When we say somebody uh, is redeemed, is saved, he loves God, he's submitted to God. You need to learn. If you read Psalm 19, you will see different expression of the word of God. It says, the, the law of the Lord is perfect. You know, converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord, his testimonies, the witness of the... Different expressions, everything is still the word of God. What it means is this. Now, there are general principles of our work with God that applies to everybody. Sin is sin. That shall not commit a murder. That shall not commit adultery. That shall not uh, commit fornication. Those ones are general. It applies to everybody all the time. But for you as a person, there will be special requirements based on the calling of God upon your life. For Samson, for example, he said, no uh, razor should touch his hair. Right? Does it mean there were people in Israel that were not cutting their hair? Or was everybody like Samson carrying long hair? Was it wrong to cut hair? It wasn't. But for him, it became a special requirement. Now, those commandments that the Lord will require of you, they are never in conflict with the established doctrine of the word of God. The problem is when people say, God told me not to do this. And people are like, how can God tell you to do this? Imagine somebody saying, God told me not to give. Or God told me not to pay tight. Does that sound biblical in the first place? God can tell you, pay more than your tithe because you will have met the requirement for tithe and gone beyond it, right? But I told you not to pay your tithe. Oh, brother, we need to look at the scriptures again. Somebody can, God cannot tell you to, whatever he tells you will not be in conflict with the principles of the word of God. That's what I'm saying. There are some people that have said, God, to them, is like the impression of the Holy Spirit, no movies. I was sharing with my wife some time ago that there was actually a period of three or four years in my life that I don't think I was really watching TV. But I noticed that that was the period that my understanding of the Word of God grew astronomically. And the grace of God upon my life multiplied. That was the period where God was saying, separate yourself. And I, I, was, I was telling that, in fact, I, some, some, some seasons won't come again. Because while working in that uh, hospital then, I leave the hospital, uh, in the main hospital environment, like 5 p.m., 4 p.m., 5 p.m. I'm in the quarters. At that point, I was just so favored. I was given a mini flat to myself. So I'm alone in that place. 5 to 11, 5 to 12. All you are doing is listening to message, reading the Bible, you know, praying, meditating, Monday to Friday, every week. 
There is no way your life will not change. <laughs> so I leave the city center. I go to Abaji. I walk in the mornings, evenings. I'm there by myself and with God. While people are going to eat and drink and going to watch match and here and there, I'm just there. Things happened. So even when I'm in, I come back into the city to sit down and say I was watching a film or something, it was difficult that period because I realized it was a commitment that God was making of me. So in different seasons, it can make different commitments from you. For some people, well, for me right now, breakfast has become a serious challenge. <laughs> there are days I'll be so weak and tired. I know that, man, I want to eat, but it's like, mm, if I eat this food, I have problems. I say, why? When did this happen? So I've learned most times, it's more, I'm not fasting, but whether you like it or not, it has turned to fast. <laughs> there are requirements like that. There are some people that they will be required to go on extended fast. Of course, not to the detriment of your health, but God will make requirements of you at different times. It can be, don't do this or do this. Make sure you are doing this, you are doing that. Because when you do those things, it increases your experience with God. It may be for a season. For some people, it may be for a lifetime. But like I said, those commandments are never in conflict with the established principles of the Word of God. But you do it, you will enjoy more of God's manifest presence. Amen. The last thing that will make God find rest and pleasure in you is fellowship. And by that, study of the word, prayer, meditation. These are things that uh, we are looking at currently at the different PCG levels. And these are things that will deepen our relationship with God. These are things that God will make God look at our lives and like, oh, I can rest here. They asked Jesus, Master, no, it was the Lord Jesus. He said, uh, birds have nests, right? The foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Was it that when he was on earth, he didn't have places to stay? He was talking also figuratively that there is an abode. Let's finish this. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16. He said, then I and my Father will come. Uh, is this the scripture I'm supposed to read? There was a place that said, I and my father will come. We will make our abode with him. We will make our abode. God is looking for a dwelling place. God is looking for a resting place. And when God comes into rest in your life, then you have laid a good foundation for you to enter into his rest. God helping us when uh, we come back, we begin to look at what it means for us to enter into God's rest and how we can labor. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home. Then the old King James says, make our abode with him. So, I believe we've answered that question. Does God need rest? Yes. But God does not grow tired. God does not grow weary. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even need, he didn't need to create man in the first place because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the eternal trinity, they had perfect unity. They had perfect love. 
They had perfect fellowship. But out of wanting to share, they said, let us create. Let us make heaven and earth. Fellowship with the host of heaven above, but more importantly, fellowship with man. Because God is a father. With parents, if you are telling your children to, this boy, let me rest, this boy, let me rest. What are you invariably telling the boy? That what you are doing is stressing me. Right? What you are doing is causing me pain. What you are doing is making me uncomfortable. But if I, whoa, this boy, let me rest. Please. It means let him do, change his ways and do what brings pleasure and peace and joy to your heart. That is the rest that God is desiring. God will help us to bring him to rest in our lives in Jesus' name. So that we can begin to enter into what he has prepared for us. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. Let's just speak to the Lord in ways that we think we should. Maybe there is something that needs to be repented of. Maybe it is a, a cry to ask God to fill us with more love. And that's, those are prayers that God desires to answer. You know, that will cause our heart to love Him more. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. We can pray and say, Lord, let, your heart, let, let the Holy Spirit produce a longing, a desire, a panting after you. The deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. If you have been dry and you, there's no excitement or enthusiasm about your relationship with God, again, you can ask him, ask him for help. Ask him for help. Maybe you are not making the needed sacrifice. God said, call unto me my saints who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Maybe you've drawn back from making some sacrifices and serving the Lord in capacity that you know that you can. Ask him for help and make a commitment. Lord, whatever I demand you are placing upon me, whether it's time, whether it's resources, whether it's skill, whether it's ability, whether it's finances, whatever sacrifice you would demand, I will give it because that will bring soothing. That will bring a sweet aroma to him. Father, we just ask for help, Lord, in the various ways that we need it. Now we know that you desire to be at rest in us. Your desire has always been to dwell with man. Because when it all ends and we all come to you in glory, your abode will be with us. But even now, you desire to have that. We ask that our life will be a resting place for you in the name of Jesus. Lord, all issues that have prevented you from finding rest and pleasure in us, we ask for help of your Holy Spirit. We ask for grace by your word. Lord, deliver us from them in Jesus' name. Let our lives conform to all that you want, O oh God. Let our lives be like that sweet aroma, that that, that, that sweet sacrifice that delights your heart. Help us to be a delightful people, Lord. We want your presence to be manifest. We want your glory to be seen upon us. Help us, Lord, to put you at rest in us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.
This message is brought to you by the Metamorphosis Christian Center, Abuja. We believe you were blessed as you listened. Join us for a Sunday service at Metamorphosis Christian Center, Stanford Dialysis Building, beside Africa International College, opposite Sun City, Kaura District, Abuja. You can link with us on Facebook and YouTube at Metamorphosis NG. Metamorphosis Christian Center, reaching, raising, releasing.